church. It's good to see you. It's good to be here tonight. We are uh, delighted that you're here tonight. It's no better place to be than in the house of God, encountering the presence of God together. And uh, I can could, I could tell you this, that it is uh, my, my prayer each and every week that you wouldn't leave here the same way you came in. And I know for many of you that's been the case over the last several weeks. And really, to be honest with you, it's probably more so my heart posture for, for this year especially. I, I don't know what it is, but the Lord has really just stirred me. And Katie and I, is, we've been unpackaging our time away and coming to really understand what it means to be a shepherd of people. We're not the shepherd. We are shepherds charged and tasked with caring and stewarding and tending to this particular community of people that God has trusted us to, to do that on his behalf. And so there has been a sensitivity for sure to praying and, and believing for you and on your behalf that God would, in fact, reveal himself to you in a fresh and new way this year, that you would actually come to know him in a personal and real way, that if you are asking the question, what is my purpose? that we would be equipped with wisdom and knowledge to take you by the hand and begin the journey of helping you discover that. And obviously one of those ways is really found in Alpha. It's found in discipleship groups. It's found here gathering on Sunday nights. It's found around the table having coffee together with a few people. But it is absolutely without a question uh, a privilege and an honor for us. But then it's also about us understanding that if we are to go and make disciples, that we have to be sure that we actually are disciples. That has been my personal conviction. If that is a conviction for you, great. But personally, as not only a son of the Father, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor and as a friend, it has been my personal conviction, am I actually living out, am I actually practicing, am I actually following Jesus in belief and practice. And it's just been a humble little exercise for me to just go through this text that we've been on over the last several months now and really just allow the Lord to reveal anything in me that is not in alignment. Because in order for me to be committed to and, and to be called to making disciples, then it is without a question an opportunity for me to be sure that I am in alignment with what it is that he desires of us. Does that mean I, I'm perfect? No. Gosh, no. I know some of you might be wondering if I doubt, hey, I wasn't, I was just going to cover all the bases. You didn't have to put your hand up, Miss Elise. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. The Lord knows that I'm nothing but un imperfect. But what it means is that every day we strive to just grow a little bit deeper and discover just a little bit more and understand just a little bit more what it means to follow him, to trust him, to be honest. It's less about praying for things and just desiring for more of him, to be honest. Although I will say that over the last several weeks, I've been intentional about praying for each and every one of you. It has quite honestly been one of the great joys of my walks in the morning, Doc is starting to get to the point where I get irritated with him because he wants to stop and smell every living thing. And dead thing, for that matter. 
And so I hope, you'll, I hope you understand this, but every time he stops, I think of one of you. <laughs> I know, it's weird. But it's just a way that I can process in my own head how to stop and pray for people. So every time Doc stops, I go, well, who, who's next on the list? And it's almost like a prayer list. I actually have a prayer list. It's on my phone. It's on my home screen with every one of your names on it. And I pray. And so this morning, I just spent time praying. I went on a little extra walk. Not because I needed to pray for some of you longer. It was just because I went on a little extra walk. Steve, maybe a little bit. But Renee, you are actually on my list this morning. And I, and I just, I, I, I even hesitated when I was coming up here. I felt like the Lord said, just share with her what you prayed. I thought, well, that's private. She said, no, she'll appreciate it in public. And it was just simply this, that it's not about what you know. It never has been. It's always been about who you know. And I don't mean the practical people. It's about the Father that is actually in heaven who loves you and who is very, very proud of you. And there's no amount of knowledge that you can conjure up or learn in the practical sense that's going to ever change the way he feels about you, what he thinks of you. And so nothing that you do on the external compares to what he already thinks of you on the internal. So it was just a prayer of just encouragement that you would walk in that knowledge, that it's not about all of the things that you learn. While those things help and they're great and we all will appreciate them along the way, I will probably benefit from them. Know that it has never been about knowing more. He's only desired that you would know him and that you would walk in this promise that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, that he's created you for a purpose and that you are his daughter. That's it. So that was my prayer for you. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. So this evening, I'm going to attempt to um, share a message with you that I've rewritten three times. I wrote last week for last week, and I didn't preach it last week. I rewrote it on Thursday for this week, and I, Pastor Katie will tell you that I wrestled with it for literally 48 hours. You know, you ever have one of those weeks where you're just like questioning everything? I get them too. Every one of those weeks where it just feels like every negative thing that could happen on the planet happens all in one week. I think in the sequence of eight hours, I got six calls that were almost impossible to bear. Now, I am very fortunate that six people trusted and had the faith in me that I could stand with them in their time of need and be a friend to them. That is without question one of the most humbling things. But can I just assure you that sometimes it gets a little heavy. And so then you're sitting down on a Thursday to prepare your message and you do everything you can to distract yourself from having to prepare that message because really, quite honestly, you're kind of just like, I don't know if I've got anything in me to prepare a message. Fortunately, I remember that I already written one. So that was kind of God's grace (laughs) on my life. And so here I am going through this message and I rewrote it. And then I put it away and we spent some time just decompressing, watching lacrosse. One in the nice weather and one in the pouring down, freezing, cold weather. Both winds. And then Saturday morning, I woke up thinking, oh, I was going to get to sleep in. And at 4, 5 a.m., 
straight up. And the Lord had just stirred this question in my spirit. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Yes, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to mix it up for you just a little bit, and I'm going to stay in the Amplified Version, which I've done over the last couple weeks. Just making sure I keep track of time. I'm getting hungry. So there's one thing you never have to worry about. I get hungry too. So you're like, is he not hungry yet? Because I'm getting there, I promise you. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. I want to just really quickly help you understand that, that what we understood about Matthew 6 as it pertains to Jesus' teaching is that the first three things that we discussed about giving to the needy, how we're supposed to pray, and how we're supposed to pass, uh, fast, sorry, not pass, fast, were all about private patterns. They were about intimate personal patterns in which the Lord wanted us to spend time with Him, practicing and learning and honestly looking to Him for affirmation. Steve, you can go. I was going to pray, but I'm going to just go. So take a break, Steve. You're amazing. The team's amazing. What an incredible moment of worship. Can we just thank our worship team and our sound team and our amazing purpose team, really top to bottom? So the first three things were about the private uh, patterns of life. And what we find now is that Jesus goes into teaching about some public patterns. Okay, so I just want to help preface that so you understand a little bit of context. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 in the Amplified says this, Do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where, there, uh, where, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires that on which your life centers will be also. Verse 22 says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But if your eye is bad, in other words, if it's spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness, devoid of God's precepts. So if the very light inside you, your inner self, your heart, your conscience is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be de devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, possessions, fame, stat status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. I know what some of you are thinking, because often what we, what we discover with this text is it is a closely associated and is awfully geared towards our finances. It is awfully uh, taught and spoken to around our tithes and offerings or our money and, and the value we place on it. And while that is true, and, and that's a lot of what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew, to be quite frank, it's one of the most talked about subjects Jesus speaks on in all of the Gospels is the topic of money. Matthew's Gospel specifically is referring to this very notion or this idea that we're getting on to the topic or the matter of money. Uh, that's not exactly what it is that I want to speak to you about tonight. And, and I want to be clear that my intention here is not to diminish the Word of God. Rather, it's to go a step further and bring maybe even a deeper understanding of this teaching, and specifically the topic of treasure. Treasure. I'd like to also add that if, 
in this teaching, you are challenged or you are convicted in any way or in any shape or in any form around finances, tithe, or offering, that I believe that that is the work of the Holy Spirit, not me. It is not my intention. This is not an arm-twisting exercise. This is simply an opportunity for us, like Jesus, to focus on the whole body. Mind, body, and spirit. Every area of our life. Jesus was about teaching the disciples how to live as followers, completely and totally devoted to him in every area of our life. You see, you have to understand that if we are to be disciples, we have to know that his desire is for all of us. That we don't just go to Vegas to go all in, but we can come to the altar and we can declare that we are all in. It's not about picking and choosing. I'm sorry, I hate to tell you, but this is not a selection. This is not a vending machine. This isn't a Rolodex of options. This is not just even a Ferris wheel that you get to pick and choose which seat you get on. This is an entire life. This is a commitment, a devotion. Do you have to figure it out overnight? No, it's called a journey for a reason. It is an opportunity for us daily to get before the presence of God and allow His Holy Spirit to bring clarity and direction to the path in which he's laid out for each and every one of us to go. I'm probably going to preach a little bit, so you can help me if you'd like. You don't have to if you don't, and if you just look stunned, I am sorry. (laughs) If you've only come recently and you've only known me to be a teacher over the last several months, I apologize. At heart, I am a preacher. I have been wearing a teacher's outfit for a very good long time, and I think it's about time that I just stick it in the closet for a little bit and maybe just encourage you in the Word of God. My heart and my desire is to focus on our whole life, mine included. I want to be a person who waters and plants the seeds that will allow him to grow and mature us into followers of Jesus in belief and practice. And so what I felt like the Lord put on my heart, or rather the question he posed to me, and I believe that he has asked me to impose upon you or share with you tonight, is simply this, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? It simply comes from the statement that we just read in the text where Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. And so the question you might be asking now, well, what does he really mean by treasure? I thought we were just talking about gold. Well, treasure is more than our financial wealth. By definition, it's a storehouse for our soul. It's a storehouse for our thoughts, our feelings, and even our purpose that we discover and uncover in an abiding relationship with Him, our Heavenly Father. Treasure isn't just about the gold at the end of the rainbow. Treasure is about a storehouse. It is a place. It is a destination in which we place the most precious and important things to us in life. The most important, valuable things that we've uncovered and discovered in this life. Treasure is not just about finance. Treasure is about your soul. It is about your dreams. It is about your heart. It is about your family. It is about your children. It is about your marriage. It is about your friends. It is about your community. It is about the very whispers of the Holy Spirit that made promises to you when you were a child that you thought were dead and gone, but yet he's reviving them once again for you to understand that there's a place in which he wants you to place them. It is that which we have come to find precious in our life, our relationship with him, all the dreams and the visions he has birthed within us. And it's knowing where to deposit and with whom we can trust the deepest parts of our heart and soul, our dreams and our desires with. 
which encourages me even more so when I think about what King Solomon said. He says in Proverbs 4 and 23, above all else, guard your heart. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Here we are living in a world where everyone's just throwing their heart wherever they can find a destination for it to land. Throwing a little bit over here and a little bit over there, and we're giving a little bit to this, and we're going to get slide up into a DM and give a little bit away there and a little bit away there, and realizing that we're only chipping away at the one thing that he's given us as a gift. And with every moment where we're giving it away, we're devaluing it and dis- depreciating it. It's like getting a brand new car thinking I'm the man and then you drive off the lot and the thing just goes pew because it depreciated. You thought the value of it was based on the look, but the reality is the value of it went downhill the minute you drove it off the driveway. Solomon says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart for everything you do will flow from it. And Jesus says, Which is why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guard your heart. In other words, guard your treasure. He's saying, be sure to store your treasure in a safe place. Not burying it or misplacing it, but rather trusting it in the hands of the one who created it. The Father who is in heaven. So I ask you again, where is your treasure? I believe that if you can locate your treasure, you will discover where your heart is. And even more, you will discover the state of your heart. Locate your treasure, and you will discover where your heart is. And even more, you will discover the state of your heart. Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 34 and 35, he says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Locate your treasure and you discover the state of your heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. It's important to note that evil is the same word as unhealthy or, or, or bad found in our original text of Matthew 6 and 23. It is the Greek word panarios. And it means bad. I know, shocking. It means clowns. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Although I would associate them with bad and evil, so therefore it does. It means toilsome, wicked, malicious, slothful, unclear, divided. It means having blurred vision or being spiritually blind as the Amplified defines it. In other words, it means unhealthy. I'm just painting a picture here for us so that we can get to the point. Jesus later goes deeper in his teaching on what defiles a person. And he says this in Matthew 15 and 17. He says, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. He's speaking in regards to not washing your hands before you eat, which in my house is a no-no. As a matter of fact, you can't get in my car without me turning around and pumping you a couple times with some hand sanitizer. And if you're a youth or you've ridden with me, you know that that's just the truth. And the Bible says the truth will set you free and keep you clean. But he's he's talking about what defiles a person, not about what, what goes into a person. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you, for from the heart comes Evil or bad, penarios, thoughts, murder, adultery, 
All sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander, these are the very things that defile us. In other words, to defile us means to make common or unclean or polluted or desecrate. In other words, what we're saying is out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So don't just devalue your heart to being a common thing. It is a special and precious thing. You are a special and precious person. You are a son or daughter. So don't just make the very thing that God created you to be just common, ordinary, polluted or desecrated just simply because you don't think it's good enough. He thought this was about money. So let me ask you a question. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Let, let us go back to Matthew 6 and 22 to help us find out how to really know where our treasure is. And maybe just maybe it'll help us to ensure it is being stored in the right place. If we go back to Matthew 22, it says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, everyone say clear. The Amplified says spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, everyone say bad. bad. Spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness. It'll be devote of God's precepts. So if the very light inside of you, your inner self, your heart, you notice it doesn't say your exterior self. It doesn't say in the car you drive or the house you live in or the kind of clothes you wear, or how white your vans are. It says your inner self, it says your heart, your conscience is darkness. How great and terrible is that darkness? I read this about 16 times, and I'm being really honest. That's not like preacher speak. That's really honest. And I kept wanting to see a question mark here because this is written as though it should be a question. So if the very light inside of you is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness? Exclamation point. That's confusing. I just want to let you sit on that for a moment. Okay, now we're moving on. How do we know where our treasure is? Well, here, let me ask you another question. You ready? Are your eyes clear? Are your eyes clear? And I don't mean like, you know, can you borrow your grandma's visine? I don't mean because you got glasses on that help your eyes clear up. I'm talking about take them off, throw the visine away, and ask yourself this question, are my eyes clear? You see, some of your translations might read healthy, and both are accurate, but to understand Jesus' point here, the word clear is the more effective word choice because the word clear is the Greek word for haplous, which means simple, single, sound, and perfect. So we could read it, are your eyes simple, single, sound, and perfect? In other words, it's saying a single, undivided focus, i.e. without a secret. Double agenda, which prevents an overcomplicated life becoming needlessly distracted. Maybe another way of presenting it to you is this way, a steady, directed toward one object or thing, not confused as a person's eye 
can be when they are seeing double. We're on, my, we're on our way over to church, and London's driving. Pray for me. And, I, and I've been trying to teach them this little trick I learned when, especially I lived in England for a time, and you had to learn not only to drive sticks, thank you, babe, for teaching me how to do that, but also how to be sure that you drive on the right side of the road. So one of the secrets I learned to driving was to ensure that the front left corner of my car was always closest to the double middle line. That made sure that I was driving on the right side of the road. Well, I come to find out that that's a great teaching tip for any new driver because if they're not focused on their lane, and the way to stay focused on their lane is to have an object in view, because if not, what happens is they start veering over thinking that they're too close to the middle lane and not close enough to the outside lane, and then you get honked at. Son, focus on the middle lane. Yes, sir. Sure enough, focus on the middle lane. We made it here in one piece, and he did a phenomenal job. Can we just give my son a round of applause? Pray for me, because in three days, I have another son getting his permit, and I don't know if I have the patience for it. We thought it was a great idea to have kids back to back, but oh, Lord, bless us. Another, another, another example would be uh, if any of you have attempted to jump rope and then any of you decided that you wanted to escalate a single jump rope to what we call a double under in, in our gym community. And, and so in order to understand how to do a double under, so much of it is about your mechanics and your fundamentals. But I have learned the secret that if you fix your eyes on an object and you stay fixed on that object, you can rattle off. 50, 75, 100, only because Brandon makes me do this stupid 10,000 challenge every year, so I figured out how to do them a lot in quantities at one time. Not because my eyes are wandering all over the place, and I have a tendency of being a squirrel follower. <laughs> squirrel. And you take your eyes off a of matter, and all of a sudden, what happens? Your eyes get blurry, you're distracted, you're confused, you're disoriented. And if you're trying to do double unders, you might just trip and fall on your face. Or you just whack yourself in the leg or the back of the leg, and then you get home and you take your clothes off to get in the shower, and your wife goes, where have you been? I was at the gym. Why does it look like somebody's been whipping you? That's an awkward conversation. We're happily married. I've never been whipped. <laughs> By anyone else. <laughs> simply put, our eyes are clean when they are simply, singularly, soundly, and perfectly fixed on Jesus. The truth is, our treasure is where our eyes are fixed. Let me say that again. The truth is, our treasure is where our eyes are fixed. Where are your eyes fixed, friends? You see, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we will be full of light from head to toe. Started at the bottom, now we're here. Started at the bottom, now the whole light's here. And we will even 
do impossible things if we would just allow ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I love that Brandon used Peter as an analogy because if we just thought about the most impossible thing that Peter did, let's just all agree, it's the fact that my man straight up walked on water. He walked on water. Matthew 14 and 28, he says this, Lord, if it's you, Jesus is just out doing what he normally does, hanging out on the water. Like, my man's just like, this is normal. Why are you guys acting crazy? And you've got a 12 grown men huddled up in a boat in fear and trembling. Oh, my God, it's a ghost. Scream 17. Jesus is like, y'all are crazy. It's just me. And Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Tell me to come to you. He doesn't even say, tell me to come. He doesn't even say, can we pull the boat over? Is there a dock nearby? He says, no, no. Tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, cool, come. He didn't, he didn't overthink it. I got the faith. Do you? Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Like, man, just straight walking on water. Like, this is the coolest thing. I'm the, I'm the greatest there ever was. Tom Brady's got nothing on me. Michael Jordan who? He gets out and he walks on the water. But here's the thing. He gets out, he walks on the water, and he comes toward Jesus. You see, when our eyes are fixed on the things of this world, though we become vulnerable to all kinds of bad things, which if not addressed, could lead to a life full of darkness. And to be very clear, what he means by darkness is physical or moral sin. Or in Peter's case, he's walking on water, walking towards Jesus, eyes fixed on Jesus. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this wind comes in. And who tries to see the wind anyway? But Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, and he sees the wind, the Bible says. And what happens? He sinks. He sinks. Because he took his eyes off Jesus. Because he put his treasure back in the things of this world. Because he put his trust in thinking he could overcome the power of the wind. Because he lacked a little bit more faith than he needed in the moment to stay walking on water. He could have been the greatest to ever and always walk on water. But yet he got vulnerable and real because it happens. We're human. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to come before the Lord and require more of his mercy and his glory which is worthy or is available to us each and every day. But here's what happens he says he took his eyes off Jesus because he saw the wind he was afraid and he began to sink when they are fixed on things of this world like wind we are at a risk of sinking into a world of deep waters like fear doubt worry or worse a life of toil evil wicked malicious or slothful unclear divided blurred vision essentially we just become spiritually blind, living 
trying to figure out how to get through life. But here's what Peter does. He cries out. It's actually a posture of prayer and worship. We think crying out, we're like, he's a little baby. No, no, he's crying out because he knows who's capable and who's able to save him. And here's the good news. No matter how bad your situation is right now, how dark your life might seem to be right now, or like Peter, how afraid you might feel, even though you're sinking, here's, here's the truth. Here's the good news. All it takes is just, is just for you and I to adjust our focus. Come on, won't you stand with me tonight? It just requires us, it just takes a little bit of courage. It, takes, it just takes a, a small amount of, of, of hope to hold on to. It takes a little flicker of, of, of light. It, it takes just a little mustard seed of faith to just, to just adjust our focus back on Him, to cry out to Him. And watch if He immediately, as the Bible says, won't reach out His hand and catch you? What if immediately tonight you recognize that you are in a season of darkness, that your eyes aren't as clear as you thought they were? Maybe your treasure is in the things of this world. Maybe it's been more about the external appearance and it's not so much been about the intimate relationship that's offered to us through Jesus, his death and resurrection on the cross that our Father so desires and longs for us to have. Or if like the prodigal son who has been running from the Father, squandering all of the earthly possessions, all the earthly treasure that he could have ever imagined on all the things this world had to offer, only to find himself floundering in the dark of night, eating that which pigs eat and imagining that this is the very end of his life. Alone, afraid, lost, and in misery. Maybe you're like that one, the prodigal son. Trying to do everything on your own, yet you find yourself coming up short every time. Can I encourage you? All it takes is for you to make the most sudden move towards Him. To be truly and completely honest with yourself. As the prodigal son says, he gets to the end of himself. And he says, I would just be better off as a slave in my father's house. And it says the next morning he got up. And he came to his father. Watch this now, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion for him. And it says he ran and embraced him. We don't know how many steps the son took, but what we know as soon as he made a move and he had repented in his heart and he made a commitment to going back to his father, it says that he got up and he turned towards his father and immediately his father came running to you. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he put him on the things of this world and he sunk, but he cried out. And immediately the father reached his hand down and he grabbed him and he saved him. 
I don't know what you're going through, but sometimes it feels daunting to overcome whatever darkness, whatever hurt, whatever pain that you've endured. But can I encourage you here tonight, friends, that if you'd be willing to just cry out to God, if you'd be willing to fix your eyes on Jesus, if you'd be willing to admit that you've tried it your way for far too long, and maybe now's the time for you to make a move towards the Father and watch and see if He wouldn't immediately meet you where you are and extend His hand of grace and extend a robe of righteousness and extend a life life of purpose that may not make sense today. It may not all be fixed tomorrow, but I can assure you that his grace is immediate. His forgiveness is right now, and the purpose that he has for your life is the journey that lies ahead of you, but it only takes a move. It only takes a willingness to cry out. It only takes an admission that I've taken my eyes off Jesus, and I've put my treasure in the wrong places for far too long, and as long as he keeps falling short, maybe, just maybe, you're here tonight because the Lord wants to invite you into a place that he set aside for you where you can pull up a chair and immediately experience the love of the Father. Watch this. The Father ran up to him and he embraced him and he hugged him and he kissed him. I don't care how old my boys are. I'll never stop hugging them. I'll never stop kissing them because I want them to know what it's like to be loved by the Father. I want to never forget what it's like to be loved by the Father. And so as long as I'm still living and breathing on this earth, and as long as you are as well, there's going to be days where I'm going to fall short and I'm going to take my eyes off Jesus, but I can be encouraged just like you that even in this moment when I have, I can fix my eyes on Him. I can ask the question myself, where's your treasure, Aaron? So let me ask you, friends, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Where, where, where's the things that you hold dear and precious? Where, where's your heart? Is it in the things of this world? Have you been trusting it into the wrong hands? Have you been hoping for a better future by trying to make it all work on your own? But yet here you are. And it's not an accident you're here tonight. God's got you right where he wants you. Would you be courageous enough to say, yeah, that's probably me. Or you know, yeah, that's me. Gosh, Wow. Talk about getting hit upside the head. That's me. I've been, I've been putting my treasure in the wrong places. I've been putting in the things of this world. Tonight, the Lord is extending an invitation to you, saying, would you fix your eyes on me? Would you cry out to me? Would you get up and would you make a move towards me and watch and see if I wouldn't immediately meet where you are? Where you are? I can assure you this. You're, that grace is immediate. That forgiveness is immediate. The journey of reconciliation is is that. It's a journey. But I assure you that when you walk that journey tomorrow, step in, hand, step in step with the Father on your side, with you, encouraging you, loving you, you will discover a purpose, a life that you never imagined. It just starts with, with this one simple act. Would you cry out to Him and repent? Would you admit to Him you're afraid? Would you be courageous enough to say, I've, I've taken my eyes off you. Tonight, I want to put my eyes on you. Could I ask everyone to close your eyes? If that's you tonight, you've been, you've, been, you've been putting your treasure in all the wrong places. Tonight, you're ready to put your treasure in the hands of the Father. You're ready to put your life in the hands of the Father. You're ready to put your heart in the hands of the Father. If that's you tonight, could I, could I ask you to do something really brave and courageous? Every eye closed. It's not to embarrass you. Just on the count of three, just lift your hand to heaven and say, that's me. One, two, 
three. That's me. Beautiful. Who else? Come on, every eye closed. We're not here to embarrass you. This is between you and the Lord. This is between you and him. This is just an opportunity for you to get honest with him and say, I've been, I've been putting my treasure in the wrong places. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but yet you find yourself living a different life than the one that we're talking about. And maybe this is your opportunity just to reconcile all that and say, that's me. I, this isn't about necessarily getting saved for the first time. This is about allowing myself to reconcile what really matters and putting him back in the center because my eyes have been in the wrong place for far too long. Tonight's the night I'm putting my eyes on Jesus. Come on, who is that? A couple people here tonight. Beautiful. Beautiful. Anyone else? Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Here, we're going to do this together. We're going to do this together because I'm putting my hand up. If you didn't know, I'm not holding this up because I want you to, dem to demonstrate it. I'm putting my hand up because I want you, everyone to see it. I'm, I've had my eyes on the wrong things this week. I'm going to put my eyes on the wrong things. I've taken my eyes off Jesus. I haven't trusted him when I'm supposed to trust him. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been following him like I'm supposed to follow him. I've been caught up with the wrong things and the wrong crowds and the wrong thoughts. So here I am. I'm, I'm all in. And so we're going to say this prayer together because I believe there's some people here tonight that just need to be encouraged just a little bit longer. So that's me. I'm, I want to put my eyes on you, Jesus. I know I'm not going to get it right. I'm not going to bat a thousand, but every day I'm going to strive. I'm going to live my life in a way that's going to honor you, that's going to glorify you, and I'm going to keep putting my eyes on you. So here's, here's the prayer. Father, forgive me for allowing the wind, for allowing the things of this world, or for anything in between to cause me to take my eyes off you, for putting my treasure in the things of this world. Tonight, I put my treasure, I put my life, I put my heart, I put everything that I hold dear and precious in your loving hands, and I ask you to walk with me, to help me, to fulfill the call, the purpose that you have for my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen.